Dobro ranku, brati i sestri. Mene zbati Valeri, sem moja družina Tamara, a mi radi bati de vas. A hvalate Bog za vas. How do you feel? Well, that's how we felt when we set foot in Ukraine for the very first time, is uh, people spoke to us with great enthusiasm, and we looked back at them with a blank face, like a deer in the headlights. <clears throat> but we have studied the language, and we've learned it. By the way, what I said was, good morning, brothers and sisters. My name is Larry, and this is my wife, Tammy. We are very happy to see you this morning, and we praise God for you. And we do praise God for you. The very first thing that we want to say this morning is thank you. Thank you for your support. Because of what you have done sacrificially, because of how you have given and supported this ministry, there is today a BMA Baptist Church in the country of Ukraine. Now, we'll tell you more about that because it wasn't actually supposed to happen yet, but God had plans that were different than ours, and I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment. But God has done some wonderful, wonderful things, and we have seen lives changed. We have seen people who have made uh, commitments to become a follower of Jesus Christ, a sincere follower of Jesus Christ. We have been able to uh, baptize, and we have been able to uh, establish this church, which right now um, is running somewhere near 100, between 80 and 100 people uh, every Sunday. We've outgrown our first building, the one that you saw there, and we've uh, the week that we actually left to come back to the States for furlough, we moved into our second building. Uh, and um, it's full, and so we make, we make do. And, uh, and uh, that's what you do in Ukraine is, uh, fortunately uh, for that circumstance, um, uh, they have social distancing there. Um, but their social distancing is much different than ours. Um, they prefer to occupy the same space you occupy. <laughs> um, they, they are very relational people, and they have no, uh, everything that they do is just very close quarters, and so they have no qualms with being right up next to you. And I might add that this applies not only to when you're in a room or walking down the street, but it it also includes when you're driving down the road. They want their car as close to yours as they can get it. <clears throat> and uh, so we've had some fun experiences. I'm going to ask, uh, but uh, I'm, I'm going to ask Tammy to come and share about some things because this video pretty much encapsulates the past two years of the ministry in Ukraine. We have some exciting plans for the future, but they're not our plans, they're God's plans. <clears throat> One thing that I must remind you is when we say we, we really mean God. God has done an extraordinary work in the country of Ukraine. He has exhibited his marvelous grace and his wondrous power in ways that you could not imagine. We 
Uh, as we say most of the time when people say, oh, this must have been hard work, and, and Tammy and I are like, actually, the hardest thing for us was just to jump on the train and hold on because that's what we felt like we were doing most of the time. Lest you think God is not working in the world today, I promise you he is. He is as real and alive and active today as he was at the very beginning of time, and he's not going to stop until the whole world has heard the message of the gospel of Christ, the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. Tammy, come and share with them some exciting plans we have for... Um, for the future. Thanks, Larry. I just want to come and share my heart. First of all, I want to thank you for um, just being there in prayer. I know that you haven't met us in uh, person. Um, I encourage you to join us on Facebook and to just um, log in and share our journey because um, it is exciting, because God is exciting, and I want him to become as real in your life as he is in our lives, because he is alive, and he is alive in Ukraine as he is alive in America, and it is exciting to see what he's doing in the lives of Ukrainians. It is, um, when we arrived in Ukraine, we went, the first week, we really did not know anyone. And there are very few Americans in the town of Lutsk where we live. That's L-U-T-S-K. I'm sorry that um, there was a little bit of pronunciation uh, miscommunication in our video. Um, and it is pronounced Lutsk. And um, so we went to a coffee shop. The We moved in that first week and we did not have any kitchen utensils so we went down the street to a cafe and you have to understand that in Europe coffee is very important and coffee is very good in Europe <laughs> and so Larry and I went down the street and we came to the first coffee shop and we went in and we had breakfast and the people in there were so warm and so inviting we decided the next morning we were going to come back and we met people and so we decided the third morning and do you know two years later we're still going in there because you know what we we met people there that day and we decided that that was a great place to meet unbelievers and we met many unbelievers and Larry and I get a table for five or six people, and we get on one side, and we're either studying Ukrainian, because we go to Ukrainian lessons five days a week when we're there, and we go to Ukrainian lesson for one hour, and th that one hour of Ukrainian lesson takes about four to five hours of study. So we study there, and we have breakfast and or coffee, and we have a lot of our meetings there, and we meet new people, but then we have friends that we have met now, and they just come and sit down, and they either want to speak English and practice their English, or they want to correct our Ukrainian, <laughs> or they want to help us with our Ukrainian, and it's a wonderful tool, because you see, right before I came back, 
one of the workers there at the, and this is only one, I could go on and on with examples, but there is one example I want to share with you. It took two years to break through the thick wall of Ukrainian culture for one girl that worked there, that was there the first day we were there, to ask me, she didn't know how to ask me to pray with her, but she said, I need you to, um, um, I need you to help me with life. I said, you want me to pray with you? Yes, yes, I want you to pray with me. And she said, I don't know what to do with my life. I have many decisions. I'm going to third year university and I'm studying hotel management and I don't know what to do. Because you see, I believe the Holy Spirit is stirring in her heart. And I believe that the Lord is calling her to him. And I believe that she is not knowing what to do to fill that God void in her life. And I believe that we have developed the relationship with her that now I have the right to be able to share the gospel with her because we have developed that relationship. But you see, it took two years to be able to develop that relationship because we can't just go in and say, hey, I'm here. I want to help you be able to be saved. They don't even know what that is. They don't even know the terminology of what that is, but they know how to do life. And they know people that smile because they don't smile over there. They think you're crazy. They really do. They think that there's something wrong mentally with you when you walk down the street and smile. And so it's taken a while. They don't know how to wave either. I have the people in my neighborhood waving now. When they, when they meet us in the car or they meet us on the street and, and we wave, they even wave back at me now. <laughs> I'm not even sure they know what that is. But you know what? That means that we developed a relationship with them because they know that that means we care. That means that if they needed something, that Larry and I would reach out to them and we would help them. Just because we've developed that relationship, we've been there every day. They just want to know, hey, we want to do life with you. We eat breakfast with you every morning. We'll sit down and have a cup of coffee. In that same coffee shop, we had a group of four ladies that were there two, three times a week. And all of a sudden, one day, one of them came over to our table and said, hey, would you come to our table twice a week and give us an English lesson? Sure. What do you want to talk about? Anything you want to. So we did a travel lesson. We did a family lesson so that they could learn to say father-in-law, mother, father, sister, brother. It was a wonderful way. How long will it take for us to be able to earn the right to share the gospel? I don't know, but I do know that that is the way to open the door to be able to share the gospel. Now, how important are your prayers? Very important, because you see, when we need the strength, when we are down and discouraged and think, I can't take another step, 
I'm tired today. The devil makes me feel like that I'm defeated today is just when the Lord prompts you to pray, the Holy Spirit prompts you to pray for Larry and Tammy or another missionary. It's not just exclusive to Larry and Tammy. It's for all missionaries because there are days. And Brother Eric, I'm telling you, one of the hardest things that we had to do was leave our family. I'm not going to tell you it was easy to get on that plane and leave our mother's and our fathers, and all three of our grown children, and our son-in-laws, and our daughter-in-law, and our grandchildren, and our aunts and our uncles. But we had to tell our family that the call was greater than the sadness, because the Lord put the call on our life. And one of my favorite verses of Scripture because prayer took a different, it just took a different um, look when I got to the mission field. I had a different trust because I had to trust him with everything. I had to lay everything down when I left this country and moved to another country. Because it was, when I looked at Larry and I said, it's me and thee and the Lord. There's nobody else, and our life took on a whole different everything. And I had been looking at this verse of Scripture for a long, long time, and it's now just become kind of like my motto verse when I want to give up or when I want to um, do something different. And, um, and I want to share it with you. And, and I, I uh, was listening to the prayer request this morning um, in our Sunday school class. And we enjoyed our Sunday school class so very much this morning. And I was listening to them and, and uh, just making uh, notes about, about how to pray this week for you all. Um, and uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because you see, it's not, oh, can I come to you, Lord? He asks us to come boldly with confidence because this Bible right here is full of promises that he is going to keep. And he doesn't say, I might answer them in your time of need. He says, I'm going to answer I'm, I have every promise in this book. I am going to answer, and I ask you to come boldly with confidence that I'm going to be there in your time of need. And we don't have to say, Lord, please be with me, because he's already said, be of good courage because I am going to be with you. We don't have to ask him to be with us because he's already with us. And so you can come boldly, and that is the prayer. And when one of these days when you get to heaven, you are going to have as much a part of every Ukrainian that accepts the Lord as the small part that we have had. And like Larry said, we have just had to just catch on and get on the train and go for the ride 
because it is more than we could have ever asked or thought about happening since we've been at Ukraine. And thank you so much for every dollar that has been given, every prayer that has been prayed. We appreciate it so very much. And if it wasn't for COVID, I'd want to give every single one of you a hug. That's another thing that we've been able to do, and that's teach those Ukrainians to hug because they have just not, that's not part of their culture. They have, they're very standoffish, and we want to teach them that God's love is relational and that they can share God's love in many, many ways. Thank you very, very much. Thank you, Tammy. Um, I have to say that there is no better missionary wife or partner that I could have on the field than Tammy because she loves people uh, so easily and uh, she has helped me through the years to, um, Tammy always looks for the good in people and um, I didn't always do that, but she taught me a very important lesson. She always looks for the good in people. Well, <clears throat> I'm, going, I, I'm going to try and give you some time at the end to ask some questions. We try to anticipate the kind of things you want to know, and we also uh, uh, feel compelled to share the scripture with you. And um, so I may not actually answer your question as we go along, and if I don't, we'll try and save a little bit of time for a couple of questions at the end. But um, let me tell you what's happening now in Ukraine. The first church, Water of Life, which in Ukrainian is Vodazhitya, Water of Life Church, is, will be a year old on November 17th. Um, she is uh, working well. She's doing the things we want. We see uh, discipleship is taking place. Um, they are beginning to reach out, and in fact, uh, we have, um, uh, they are beginning to make the steps to help plant another church in another part of the, the country, um, which is what we want them to do. Uh, it is imperative that, that the churches that we plant as the BMA, that we build into them the DNA of reproducing themselves because we do not plant in Ukraine, we don't plant American churches. We plant Ukrainian churches. Um, if we plant an American church, when the Americans leave, the church dies. And this is a, a lesson that has been learned uh, through the years. So what uh, we want to do, we're very pleased with where uh, the church is, and we have a wonderful pastor. His name is Sasha uh, Grebenyuk and his wife, Yulia. And um, you, they were in the video, but it didn't point them out. But Sasha and Yulia were our church planting partners. And they, uh, Sasha is now the pastor of the church, and um, he's doing a wonderful job. The people respond to him very well. And so we know that this church is in good hands, that God has provided a wonderful uh, team of people to see this work go forward. So the second church plant is now underway in a city called Vol Volodymyr Volensk. I still cannot say it. And so I just usually look at them and say, that 
other place. And, um, but uh, in Volodymyr, it's going to be a different story, and that's okay. It's not going to look like what happened here. But here's what we know. The same God who planted the church in Lutsk will plant the church in Volodymyr. The power that he showed forth to get the church in Lutsk going, he'll do again. We have that assurance because the power of the gospel is what does the work. Let me tell you, if you ever have anyone, a missionary or uh, anyone who comes and all you hear from them is what they've done and what they've done, if you'll go examine the work, you'll find exactly what they've done. I know that what I can do is not enough. You see, we are bearers of a message, and the message is the gospel. And the gospel is simple. It is the good news that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was born, lived a perfect life, died and rose again, and reigns in heaven. That's the gospel. If you'll take your Bible and turn with me to ver uh, uh, the book of Romans, chapter 16, uh, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 16. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I'm getting ahead of myself. Romans, chapter 1, verse 16. And you know this verse. You don't even have to read it along. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. In other words, the gospel is for who? It's for everyone. There is no one that is left out of the hearing of the gospel. No one. It is for all. This, when he says for the Jew and also the Greek, <clears throat> that was in, in, in Paul's day, that's all there was. There, was, there were the Jews and there were the not-Jews, the Greeks. And it, and it meant everyone in between. Paul is just saying the gospel is, applies to everyone and it's for everyone. And you, we who have the gospel are responsible for carrying the gospel to everyone. That's why we do missions. Missions takes place not only across the ocean. It takes place here in the country of the United States. It takes place in Arkansas. It takes place in your city. How? Sometimes your mission is under your own roof. Sometimes there's someone in your immediate family who needs to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they need to see it lived out in you. And sometimes those who need to hear the gospel are in your school, or they're in your workplace, or they're in your social uh, realm. Uh, sometimes they're in a different part of this state, and sometimes they're in a different part of this country, and sometimes they're in an entirely different country. But the fact is, everyone needs to hear the gospel. Well, who is supposed to tell the gospel? Who shares the gospel? Well, it makes sense that the people who have understood the gospel and accepted the gospel would be the ones to share it, right? 
So that would mean probably most of you in this room. You may never have thought of yourself as being responsible for sharing the gospel, but I promise you it is your responsibility. And I promise you something I learned when I finally surrendered to the, the missions, uh, to, the, to the call to missions, is that I would be held accountable for every person that I did not share the gospel with. Now that will change your thinking. A lot of times we don't share the gospel because we're afraid it might offend someone. And you're right. The gospel is offensive. Am I right? Basically, the gospel says, without Jesus Christ, you are a sinner and you're going to die and go to hell. Now, that is not the way that you win friends and influence people. I'm sorry. It's not. Tammy and I had a professor at one point in time who said, Don't add offense to the gospel. It's offensive enough. So you don't need to go down a laundry list of all the things these people have done wrong or how they're not living right in order to share the gospel with them. Just share the gospel. It has the power to save. One thing that we have to learn in Ukraine and Tammy mentioned this, and I'll, I'll expound on it a little bit. One thing we have had to learn is that the culture is so, so different that they don't have a Baptist church on every corner. In fact, in Ukraine, the Baptist faith is considered a cult. It is not looked on with any kind of respect it is very much looked down upon. The Orthodox Church rules the country. Now let me tell you, the um, population of the country of Ukraine is about 46 million people, which is not a lot. They've had a lot of people leave because of the war situation, because of government, so they've had a lot of people leave. But we'll stick with 46 million people. Roughly half of those people are Orthodox, and the other half are atheist agnostic. I teach relatively young students uh, uh, in our English courses. Most of my students are between 16 and 25 years old. Do you know that it is not unusual in my class of 16 to 25-year-old uh, young men and women to mention the name Jesus and for them to stare at me and actually say, we don't know who that is. I've never heard the name of Jesus before. Well, you see, right there, that puts us at a little bit of a disadvantage to share the gospel because they don't even know this Jesus we're talking about. So that's why we must spend a lot of time building relationships and building trust. The people of Ukraine, in their culture, they do not trust outsiders. They don't even trust each other. You have to understand it is an extremely corrupt culture. From the top of the political system all the way down to the neighborhood grocer, it's corrupt. Corruption is how you make a living. If you, if you don't participate in corrupt activity, if you don't do things that would be illegal, 
it will be impossible almost to feed your family. The average salary in Ukraine is $300 a month. That's the average salary for professionals. That would be people like a doctor or something. Teachers make $60 a month. So you see that there is a lot of temptation because when you have a family, you're going to do what you have to do to take care of your family. And so for believers in the country, life is very difficult because once they become a follower of Christ, they determine that they're not going to participate in this. Um, and God always takes care of them. And I'll have, I'll have a story to share with you about that in just a moment. But the fact is that as we spend time getting to know people and, uh, and having a relationship with them, what happens is that eventually they will come to ask a question. Now, the best thing that we can do is get them to ask questions. And they love to ask questions. Ukrainians are notoriously um, curious and they want to know about everything. When you first meet them, they will ask you weird questions like, what shoe size do you wear? I, I don't, I'm, their shoe sizes are different. In, in Ukraine, I, I've forgotten what I wear here. In Ukraine, I wear a size 42. Now, I'm going to tell you that, that um, when they first told me a 42, I was like, I don't think so. I, you know, but. It, it works. It works there. Um, so they ask you really interesting questions, and they all they want to know about America and where you're from. And when they find out that we're from Texas, they uh, automatically assume that we ride horses and shoot guns, and um, and so they're they're a little disappointed to find out that life in Texas is not quite as exciting as it looks like in an old western. But. Um, I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm chasing a rabbit now. But, um, but what we have here is you want to get them to ask questions because inevitably they will ask this question. Why are you here? What would make you come to Ukraine? And our answer is, well, you know, in and of myself, I wouldn't have chosen to come here, probably. But because of God's love that's in me, God directed me to come here and to live my life here with you, trying to help you in your life, help you learn English so you can get a better job. Well, who is this God? Well, I can help you with that. And once we get them to ask that question, then that is God opening the door for us to begin to laying the groundwork to share the gospel. You see, I was telling you that they don't trust people. So many times when people, when missionaries go to a foreign country, they hide who they are. In Ukraine, we cannot hide who we are. In Ukraine, we are extremely honest about who we are 
and why we're there. We never mislead them. Why? Because if we only tell them part of our story that we're only there to teach English, and then we begin conversations about God, and then we begin to introduce them to the gospel and to the church, they have a good memory. And they're going to go back and say, you tricked me. You told me you were only here to teach English. And then we've lost our witness with them. So we learned that it's extremely important for us to be totally honest about who we are and why we're there. And you know, mostly they're okay with that. For some reason, that helps them to feel not pressured. They don't feel pressured to do anything with God or about God. They know who we are and what we're doing, and they will eventually open up and allow those discussions. But we understand that it is the power of the gospel that brings them to an acceptance of Jesus Christ. It's not us. It's our obedience. You see, with the gospel... We have to bring them to a place that they are able to accept Jesus Christ. And that takes a lot of work. The next thing that we really want to do with them is teach them how to live as God would have them to live. Now, we have a great tool in that we teach English. So... Once they become followers of Christ, or even sometimes before, we start a meeting in our home. Sometimes once a week, sometimes two or three times a week. It depends on how many want to participate. And we tell them, we're going to learn English, and we're going to use the best book in the whole world. There is, Ukrainians are notoriously intelligent. They are very, very intelligent. In fact, how many of you know the, um, how many of you know the apps, uh, PayPal? Do you know the app PayPal? Uh, WhatsApp? You've heard of WhatsApp. Some of you have, some of you haven't. PayPal was invented by Ukrainians, not Americans, Ukrainians. They've invented, they are extremely intelligent people. And so we always tell them, you know, you can't consider yourself a truly educated person unless you've read the Bible. It is the most read book in the world. And you should read it because there is a lot of good information in there and a lot of wisdom and they have no qualms, then we say, so if you'll come to our house on Tuesday evening, we are going to fix you a meal, and then an American meal. They want us to cook American food. And um, so we'll fix you a meal, and then after that meal, we'll have an English lesson, and we're going to use the book of John. Now, what do you think happens when we begin to study the book of John? God begins to work. And he begins to reveal to them the things that draw them to him. And the Holy Spirit begins working. And after they accept him, then they begin to grow in him. And they begin to come to a place that they want to live their life like Jesus Christ. 
Now, something Tammy didn't tell you is that alcoholism and drug addiction are the two biggest threats to Ukrainian society. Alcoholism and drug addiction affect almost over 90% of the families in Ukraine. In fact, almost every family will have at least one family member and usually more who are alcoholics, who are addicted to drugs, and it is a rampant, widespread problem. One of our future plans is that um, this spring, we have a group uh, uh, of friends with Celebrate Recovery here in the United States, and they are coming to establish Celebrate Recovery in Ukraine, and they'll start in our city. And we are thrilled about this because it will be another ministry for the church, and it will be a way for the church to have a positive impact on the, on the community. We are very excited about this happening. It will be a, uh, we see that there will be many, many lives and hearts that are changed. Uh, but we want people to begin to live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do this by example and by discipleship. Let me tell you about a young man who learned this. Andrew was, uh, Andrew's about 25 years old. He's got a beautiful wife and a little boy named David. His wife's name is Tanya. And uh, Andriy is his name in Ukrainian. And Andriy um, was an alcoholic. And because a friend of his who had come to know Christ reached out to him, Andriy became a follower of Christ. And he dedicated his life to serving God. Now, Andre works very hard. But he's very, very active in the church. He volunteers his time at a rehabilitation center, a place that is for people with disabilities. And Andre is such a good example. Well, Andre, one Wednesday evening in home church, Andre said, I need you to pray for me. And we said, okay. He said, I have a situation my boss that I work for, I did some extra work because I needed to earn money so Tanya and I could move into our own apartment. They shared their apartment with about three or four generations of family, and they wanted a place of their own. And he said, I did the work, but I've never been paid. And I said, how much, we asked how much money, and he said, well, it would be the equivalent of 1,200 American dollars. Now, in Ukraine, that is four months of pay that this man had been cheated out of. And I thought when Andrew said, I want you to pray for me, I thought, I bet I know what his prayer is. And you're probably thinking the same thing. Please let God give me that money, help you know my boss give this money to me, do whatever. Andrew said, will you pray that I will handle this situation with grace and with mercy and that I will not bring it up to my boss again. Will you pray that my boss will come to know Jesus Christ because I have chosen to be obedient to Christ? Will you pray that God will use this situation to bring my boss 
to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Andrew's prayer, although I think he would have been justified, but Andrew's prayer was, let my life and the way I deal with this situation not be a stumbling block, but let it be a drawing card to my boss so that he can come to know Jesus Christ. His number one concern was that his boss know Jesus. Andrew determined that his boss's soul, his boss's life, was worth more than $1,200. I can tell you that God provided the money for Andrew to move. I don't think it was quite $1,200, but he supplied what he needed. And Andrew still goes to work every day. When the boss says, Andrew, I want you to do this much work, do you know what Andrew does every day? Andrew does this much work. Because Andrew has learned that part of what he should do as a believer is to live the gospel. The other thing that we want them to learn, and it's difficult in their society, is to share the gospel. That's the other responsibility we have with the gospel. We have three responsibilities. We have to accept it, we have to live it, and we have to share it. And sharing it is probably the most difficult part. And I think it's why that Paul used those words, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I am not ashamed. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but if you are like me, there have been times in my life when I have been ashamed to speak the gospel. I've been afraid to speak it because I was afraid of what people might think of me because I was afraid that they might, um, you know, think that that's my timer to tell me I'm done. <laughs> I, I did. <laughs> because that's just our human nature. And we don't want to offend somebody. I want to tell you what I've learned now is that if we go on with that attitude, we're going to offend people right to hell. You know, I mean, we're going to not offend them straight to hell. I have a good friend who made a quote one day in a sermon, and I, I stole it from him, but it was wonderful. He said, there are two things that we in the American church have forgotten today, two very important things. One thing is we've forgotten what it was like to be lost. We forgot that hopeless, desperate situation that we were in at one time. We've forgotten that void in our heart, that hole, that, that God-sized hole that nothing would fill, although we tried filling it with everything, but we forgot it all. But the other more tragic thing is we've forgotten that people still actually die and go to hell. But they do. And they go because no one tells them about Jesus Christ. Folks, it's not enough that we open the church door on Sunday morning. That's a good thing, but it's not enough. It's not enough that we never bring up the name of Jesus Christ in a conversation with those that don't believe. You know, 
this is what changed my thinking is I thought, you know, those who aren't believers, they have no qualms about using their bad language around me. They look at me and say, oh, I bet, you know, I'm sure you can't take it, preacher, you know, or whatever. And they make a joke out of it. And I thought, you know, if they're willing to offend me, I'm willing to offend them with, a little, you know, with telling them the gospel, if that's offensive to them. But I would rather tell them the gospel and them get mad at me than to not speak it and them go into eternity without uh, knowing Jesus Christ. So we, tell, we teach them to share their faith in Ukraine. And sharing their faith in Ukraine takes a whole lot different than it does here because, again, we don't have that foundation of, you know, the Christian society. We don't have that foundation. One thing that always that inspires us is that a lot of times people ask us, well, what is your motivation? Well, the motivation is the love of Christ. And in John 15, 13, where Jesus said, this I command you, that you love one another, and he put in something there that changes the whole statement. He said, because we hear love one another, but he said, as I have loved you. Now that put love on a whole different level, you see, to love as Jesus has loved. Do you know that Jesus Christ has never done one selfish act, ever? His love is pure. I love the story of Jesus with the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well. I think if it happened today, someone might sit down beside her and begin telling her all of the things she's done wrong. Well, you know, I've, I've heard about, boy, you are famous in this town. You know, everybody knows the reputation you have. Jesus knew, but did he bring it up to her? No, he, he let her bring it up to him, and he said, you're right, but that's in the past. It's not your future. It doesn't have to be your future. And that's what we have to do in Ukraine, is help them come to a place that they understand that Jesus Christ, that we are not there to tell them how bad they are, to tell them that they've just totally messed up on life. We're there to help them see that there is a Savior that loves them for who they are, that has the power to save them, we can't promise them that their financial situation is going to be better if they be become a believer. We can't tell them that their country is not going to be at war anymore. Or we can't tell them that everything in their life is going to be perfect. But we can tell them that there is someone who will walk with them every step of the way. And that's what we do. The new church... has a difficult history. It's actually a restart. It was a church that was planted by a former drug addict. And the first few years it did well and he did well, but he began to slip back into his old ways. And the church 
uh, has dropped down to about 10 or 12 people. And so we're working with them now. We have a new church planning partner on this one since Sasha is pastoring uh, Water of Life. The name of this church is Blahodat, which means grace. It's Grace Church. And I'm going to ask you to pray for Grace Church because they've been very, very hurt. And they feel that God has betrayed them because they had a church and then it went away. And we have to bring them to a place of understanding that God didn't betray them. Man betrayed them, but God didn't betray them. And that there will be a church here. We ha it has some wonderful opportunities. There is an apartment uh, housing right across the street where there are about seven or 800 families living. There is an army base right, practically right next door of whom God just happened to plant a Baptist chaplain in that, uh, at that base. Now, that's not by accident. Uh, we've already had conversation with him. He is ready to help us get on to the base and begin to teach English and do Bible studies for those who are believers, but begin to teach English to begin building that foundation of trust so that we can uh, reach out to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then um, we will, uh, obviously the church will play a great part in that. So you can pray for Grace Church. We need you to pray for Celebrate Recovery. Those are we need you to pray for the extension of our English classes. They have grown this past summer. We had um, over 3,000 students uh, come to English classes. We had about 800 to 900 who made positive uh, steps toward Jesus Christ through those events. And so we need you to continue to pray for every area of ministry that we have because in Every sense, we see God working. And God is always supplying the people to do the work. But we need your prayer. We need you to continue to pray that we would have the, that we would have the courage to continue to share the gospel and that we would impress on others that they must share the gospel with their family, with their friends, and that we can reach the nation of Ukraine. Also, we need you to pray that God would put on people's hearts the desire to come and serve in Ukraine. Tammy and I have invitations from six cities, six pastors in six different cities right now, to come and plant a church. And we can't, we cannot do that. The country of Ukraine is very open to the gospel right now. Probably now more than ever in her history, she is receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Please pray that God would send people to help reap the harvest that God has already planned. We know that God has planned a great future for the church in Ukraine, but it's going to we need workers to come into the field. Do any of you have any questions you would like to? Is it okay if we take a few questions? If you've got a question, anything you want to know. I've already had one question about do we know Hunter Biden. 
Ukrainians know Hunter Biden. It's a problem. Okay, all right. Winter, um, well, let me start with summer. This is a good summer day where we live, what you've got outside right now. Um, where we live, uh, it's about generally in the summer, the warmest day we've ever had, well, I think it was 81 degrees. And so, but usually it's around 70, 75 degrees. Winter, um, gets colder than that, so um, usually uh, well below zero. Um, uh, the, um, sometimes minus 25. <laughs> um, um, where we're located, we're very, very far north. If you know anything, we're above the 51st parallel which means that during the summer, our days are very long. The sun comes up about four in the morning and goes down about 11 o'clock at night. So it's a very long, very long day. I'm an early to bed person. So going to bed at nine o'clock when the sun doesn't go down till 11 is really difficult for me. <laughs> so it makes me into a night person. However, during the winter, the sun comes up at about eight in the morning and goes down about three in the afternoon. So it's a very, very, very long, cold winter nights. And even if the, during the day, it's usually cloudy. Yeah, it's very, it's, but when it is clear, it's, it's beautiful. So, yeah, it's, the climate is, um, we didn't find this out until we moved there, but after we moved there, we found out that the city we live was once used by the government <laughs> Where, that's where they had, it was the worst prison in the country was there because the climate was so terrible. That's where they sent the prisoners that they... I've asked God about that a few times. <laughs> I know it's hard to ask a question, but please do. Anything you want to know. Okay, agriculture is uh, a huge... Uh, probably the biggest. Um, Ukraine is known as the breadbasket of Europe. It's the reason that all of the European countries have fought to own Ukraine all of these years is because they can grow anything. The, the, the fruits and vegetables, and they grow everything there. The fruits and the vegetables are delicious. Um, wheat, uh, they are the third largest wheat exporter in the world. Um, and then steel and coal mining. Yeah. No. They, they love hamburgers. They love hamburgers. And trust me, there is a big difference between a Ukrainian hamburger and uh, uh, an American hamburger. They put things on food that we went to, uh, well, we were in Kiev, which is the capital city. And they have a Mexican food restaurant. And so we thought we would be safe with fajitas. I've never had fajitas that had green beans in them before. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and they put corn on pizza. And they, could, they put corn 
and fish on pizza. Fish soup, ooha. Yeah, with the head, everything. It's wonderful. <laughs> yes, sir. The city where we live is 250,000. It's a, it's a good-sized city. It's a very good-sized city. Um, um, and um, now the main industry where we live is a chocolate factory, and, um, which is wonderful. And, um, and uh, yeah, Ukrainian chocolate's very good. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a good-sized city. It's a good-sized city. Yes, yes, the Orthodox Church, um, um, I'm glad you asked that. Um, what the, ortho the Orthodox Church works by intimidation. Now, uh, Brother uh, uh, Jeremy and uh, Brother Eric, I know, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, here's what they do. You might want to try it out, I don't know. But the Orthodox Church has a system of pray for pay. So what you do is the priest is at, uh, outside the, the church or the gate to the church, and they have a little box. And if you come by and put money in the box, they'll pray for you. The more money you put in, the more they'll pray. Now, you can also give them food. They especially like fresh baked bread. So you see little babushkas, which are grandmothers, with their basket of bread, and they come and they give it to the priest, and then he'll pray for you. So y'all might want to try that here. I would, at least for food, you know. But, um, but the sad thing is they use intimidation. So, for instance, when, we, uh, when there's someone who becomes uh, starting to be affiliated with the Baptist church who starts seeking Jesus Christ, the, uh, this is a reflection on the whole family. Uh, people lose their livelihood for becoming a Christian. They lose their home. They will be kicked out of the family and out of their home for following Christ. Um, and what happens is the priest will come to the head of the family, which it's a matriarchal society, so it will be the grandmother. And he'll say, if you allow this child or this grandchild to continue in this way, there will be a curse on your household. Now, they are very superstitious, and they believe this. It's real to them. And therefore, they will do everything in their power to keep that child or that person from coming to the church, from attending Bible study. And um, because there is a um, the level of respect for um, seniors, for older people, and for family is extremely high. Um, people do not disrespect their elders at all. And so it's a very tense and difficult situation, and it's one that we cannot push. We have to allow them to come to a place that they make a decision. Sometimes they make a decision to continue with Christ, and they have nowhere to live, um, so it's, um, it can be very difficult, but the Orthodox Church controls everything.
I think everybody's done.